Hello there. This is Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law and Estate Planning Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. With me is my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. And we are going to talk to you today about a topic that is of particular significance to us. That is special needs trusts. We do a lot of special needs planning at Fleming and Curdy. And by the way, if you would like to see some of the issues that come up and, and explore it further, we have just a lot of information on our website at elder-law.com. Um, we have focused on special needs trusts for a lot of years. And Elizabeth, you, you came to the firm um, at a time when we were already deeply immersed in special needs planning, and, and you have, uh, uh, have gotten into the field Pretty intensely yourself. I have, and I, I will tell you, Robert, I appreciate all that you've done for the special needs planning community. It's um, important that I think we pause and, and make a note here. What are special needs? What are we referring to? And when I speak with people about special needs and special needs planning, I'm talking about planning for folks who may have any any number of a different of life different life challenges that could be addiction. It could be developmental disabilities. Um, it could be mental health challenges. Um, the list goes on and on. Sometimes people ask, well, do you need to do a special needs plan if there's a personal injury accident or lawsuit? The answer may be yes. In all these cases, we look at special needs planning with a pretty broad landscape because the issues included under special needs planning may be a variety of different issues. And when we talk about special needs planning, we're frequently talking about using special needs trusts to help families. And I, I think it's important to note that we are not focusing on which silo people fit in, which category, how to define the thing, so much as how to improve the quality of life for a person who has a disability. That's kind of the, the central core. And there are a bunch of tools out there, but they're all just tools. They're not categories. They're not, uh, they're not just labels. That said, in order to even talk about special needs trusts, we have to do one quick division. So can we start there? Let's define special needs trusts uh, by category. Well, when I think of special needs trusts, I really think of three different categories. A first party or self-settled special needs trust, a third party special needs trust, and one other category, and those are called pooled trusts. And I will say, Robert, we most often in our office work on first party trusts and third party trusts. And that's really because we practice in Arizona. There is not a robust community of pooled trust um, administrators. It's not that we don't like pooled trusts. In fact, we love them. They work very well in the cases where they're uh, appropriate. But we just don't get as much opportunity in Arizona as in some other states. We're not the only state that doesn't have a lot of pooled trust options available. In general, pooled trusts are good for smaller amounts of money, which is not to say you can't put a large amount of money in a pooled trust, but in general, uh, the trade-off is giving up some sort of control and and, uh, and there's a level at which people are not comfortable doing that. So Robert, when you're meeting with a family and somebody may be asking you about special needs planning, what are some of the threshold issues that may help a family identify whether or not 
creating a third-party special needs trust or some other kind of special needs planning tool is right for them? That's a really good question, Elizabeth, and I appreciate it um, because it gives me a chance to talk about the fact that at least in the third-party context, and we need to be clear that third-party trusts are those trusts that you set up for your child or family member with a disability using your money, not their money. Um, there's really no magic about calling them special needs trusts. In fact, we often leave the phrase special needs trust out of the title of the trust. We will include language talking about their disability or their challenges or, or their circumstance. But you could do a, what we might call a special needs trust for a person who is an alcoholic, a person who is a spendthrift, a person who has a physical disability, uh, anybody who either needs some control over the money or needs somebody to somebody else to manage the money for them. And so through these special needs trusts that you may be creating, Robert, one of, I think, your legacies is working with families to help create autonomy for people who have disabilities and personal life challenges. Can you talk a little bit about how a third-party special needs trust may allow for somebody to have some independence and autonomy? That's a really, another really good question. Uh, so just because somebody is not going to be able to manage their own money, either because they don't have the ability to do it or it would cause problems with public benefits or something else, uh, doesn't mean that they shouldn't have as much personal dignity as, as possible. So they ought to be given as much control over their lives as, as they possibly can. And that's a real goal of special needs planning is, as I began, I said at the beginning, uh, to improve the quality of life of the beneficiary. And part of that quality of life is personal autonomy and, and self-determination and dignity and all of those ill-defined um, areas that, that, uh, that are so hard to protect for somebody who is at the mercy of various financial and, and legal systems. And it's incredibly hard to predict what somebody's needs may be in 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. So one of the things that I talk to families about when we discuss special needs planning is doing some pre-planning that will be flexible enough to, so that it can be tailored um, during their lifetime or upon their death to really meet the needs of that individual. And that, in fact, if we do some pre-planning now, creating potentially a third-party special needs trust, that's not going to tie the administrator's hands down the road. In fact, it may actually create some benefits. And looking into the future is a hard thing to do. But special needs planning can actually be quite a flexible way to plan for a family. You don't have to be 100% certain of a diagnosis or what somebody's abilities may be down the road to identify that a special needs plan that may include a trust could be right. Absolutely. And you can think of it this way. If you were still alive and had set aside some money for your son, let's say, who really needs a special needs trust, and you were deciding how to spend that money, you would have no problem with figuring out when they would need it, when they ought to get a house, when they should get a car, when they shouldn't get a car, whether their auto insurance should be paid. The only difference in the case of the special needs trust is you're not around anymore and you've assigned that duty to somebody else. 
So it all becomes about trustee selection. That's the key. Who's going to be that trustee? Is it going to be his little brother? Because that's going to fundamentally change the relationship. On the other hand, his little brother is the only person who knows him almost as well as as you do. Uh, So there are trade-offs in trying to use a family member, is my point. And oftentimes I think that working with family members is is important on the front end so you know exactly what recommendations you might make about trustee selection. It's often a time where having an independent trustee um, like Fleming and Curdy or another fiduciary involved may help reduce family stress and tension when it comes to this kind of planning. The last note I'd like to make on this today, Robert, just relates to the question I get from people, can't I just give my other child more money because she'll take care of her brother. Yeah, disinherit the son and uh, who has a disability and leave everything to the daughter who is fine. And, and also, by the way, she has an MBA and works at a bank, so she'd be great at managing the money. What a difficult situation to put both of your children in. You're putting a stress and potential burden on your daughter. Uh, who knows what her financial situation will be down the road. Not only could she incur some gifting issues and gift tax consequences, but in fact, it may be a very confusing situation to put her in when it comes to knowing how much money you want distributed. And for your child who may have a special need or disability of some sort, um, gosh, it's nothing you're leaving for them is going to be a gift to them if you're giving it all to his or her sibling. And we just have to say, we know your family will all get along. It will never happen that there's any dispute. But unfortunately, we see an awful lot of family dynamics that change dramatically after the death of the of the second parent. And um, you may trust your daughter completely. We're a less, little less comfortable trusting your daughter about making the decisions about distributing the money. Besides which, there are, as you say, there are issues about whether she makes gifts, there are also the very common issues about uh, about one of your assets that you haven't really thought about, and that is your retirement plan. If you leave your daughter as the beneficiary of that and tell her to take care of her brother, well, guess what? When the money comes out of that plan, she's going to pay income tax on it. He's not. And then you've told her to give the money away. So she gets to pay tax on money that you've told her she can't keep. Um that's just not fair. You need to have a system that actually does what you want to do, which is to take care of your son. And, uh, and that might be putting your daughter in charge, but, uh, but it needs to be clear what her role is. Give your daughter some directions. Yep. And not just moral suasion, because sadly, moral suasion is not a reliable enough guide. Hey, we started this uh, with the promise to distinguish different kinds of trusts. We talked a little bit about pooled trusts. We talked a little bit about third-party special needs trusts when you leave your money and how you might do it and why you might do it and what might be called a special needs trust. We still have two things we need to do quickly. One is, what about self-settled special needs trusts? What makes a special needs trust a self-settled? A self-settled special needs trust will hold somebody's own funds. So funds that may have been received from an inheritance if the monies didn't come through another third party trust. So outright funds that might be left to somebody or in the case where there may be a medical malpractice or personal injury action, funds that might be somebody's funds from that kind of a settlement or trial and award. So first party money is that particular person's own money. 
And, and we, most of what we said about third-party trust either doesn't apply or needs to be modified when you talk about self-settled trust. So be careful about that. We've given you some great insight from our experience, but don't necessarily generalize it to self-settled trust. The other thing that we need to deal with is what the heck is the difference between a special needs trust and a supplemental benefits trust and a supplemental needs trust and all the other similar sounding things that, that you hear about? Well, we can talk about eligibility for benefits and we can talk about what that may allow somebody to do with the money or where it may be paid back to. But I think that that's a complicated topic for another day, Robert. <laughs> that was a good lead in. Next time we'll, we'll define supplemental benefits trusts, supplemental needs trusts, uh, and, uh, and distinguish special needs trusts. And for anybody who's listening saying, wait, wait, aren't they the same thing? Well, you'll have to tune in and find out then. In the meantime, this is Robert Fleming and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman from the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Special Needs Trust law firm of Fleming and Curdy. Check us out online at elder-law.com and join us again for our next podcast if you want to know more about supplemental benefits trusts. Talk to you then.